2024 SEC schedule has officially been released. The Florida Gators will be heading to Austin, Texas, along with many other opponents now that were not traditionally on their schedule. We'll recap that and preview the upcoming opponent in Omaha, Nebraska at the College World Series. This is the In All Kinds Weather Forecast. And good evening, everybody. I am your host, Chris Yanes, along with my co-host, Neil Shulman. We've got another action-packed episode of the In All Kinds Weather Forecast for you tonight. We're going to be getting quickly into the newly hot-off-the-press release schedule for the 2024 season. We're going to talk about where the Gators are headed, who is coming to Gainesville, and what it means for the 2024 schedule season and the outlook on what that means for the Billy Napier era. We're also going to talk and preview the Omaha-Nebraska side of the bracket that the Florida Gators are on, similar to how we did for the regional and the super regional. And we'll make our predictions as to how we think the Gators are going to fare in Omaha. But before we get all into that, the In All Kinds Weather Forecast is proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and will deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's Web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and a big-time Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather, as they did our new logo, our new website. They did the Gator Good Foundation website, and they do all the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club. And they've still got more Gator-related projects on the horizon. So if you're listening to this pod and your brand or company needs any help in the aforementioned areas, rest assured that Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. To view their full list of services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. Well, Neil, we've got some breaking news. Hot off the press, the SEC has officially released their schedule. The Gators, we know who they're going to be playing in 2024 now, and we know where we're going. We know uh, who's coming to Gainesville and you know I got I mean we're going to get into it in the reaction of it all but it this is pretty exciting day to to be able to kind of get a, a a lens into the future of what the SEC is going to look like moving forward with this newfound conference and this expanded field of teams uh, so Neil give me quickly your reaction to what you think of it and then uh, we'll get into the a little bit of analysis of all this yeah I mean the first takeaway that I had was that I mean, look, it's an SEC schedule. It's not going to be a cakewalk by any means, and it shouldn't be because that's what playing in the SEC is supposed to be about. But with that disclaimer in place, you know, of course there's going to be some tough stretch that's going to pop up in the schedule when the dates are announced. We don't have the actual dates yet, but we know that there are going to be some respectable opponents on the schedule. But with all that in mind, it's – honestly a dream schedule it's as easy as you could have realistically projected it to be and to really get a sense of that look more not at the teams florida is playing look at who they're not playing you know i don't see i don't see alabama i don't see auburn now with hugh freeze in control of that program if he if it's anything like his program at Ole miss was they're gonna at the very least be a respectable program and if you remember 
Auburn was supposed to be a team we would go to travel to in 2024 when the last iteration of the, of the schedule rotation came out. They took Auburn off that schedule. So we avoid that. We avoid Oklahoma. I understand that that program is in a bit of turmoil right now, but they're still going to recruit very well. That's still going to be another blockbuster program. There were some rumblings that Florida might get both Texas and Oklahoma. I don't know who started those rumblings, but there were some people out there who seem to think that was a possibility. No, that's not the case. Now, Florida does go to Texas. Florida does go to Tennessee. Florida does play Georgia in Jacksonville. Those are not going to be easy games by any means. And LSU, from a talent standpoint, especially after they keep beating us in the swamp, you have to say it's going to be a tough game too. But the rest of that schedule, Kentucky at home, Ole Miss at home, at Mississippi State, that's pretty easy. I mean, Texas A&M, obviously, from a talent standpoint, again, not going to be a walkover. But again, it's about who you avoid. There's no Oklahoma. There's no Auburn. There's no Alabama. A&M and LSU, who, aside from Georgia, are probably going to be the most talented teams on that slate, come to Gainesville. So, Mississippi State as as your road game on top of Tennessee, who you were scheduled to go play on the road anyway. Chris, I mean that's that's as favorable as I think it could have realistically been. Yeah, I would agree. When that was my first reaction when the schedule came out, and just to kind of recap, Neil summed up who where Florida is going and, and who we're looking at. But to to recap it all, the Florida home schedule now for the twenty twenty four season will be the Miami Hurricanes that were already on the schedule, the Sanford Bulldogs, UCF Knights, and now we have now know the Kentucky Wildcats, LSU Tigers, Ole Miss Rebels, and Texas A&M Aggies. And Florida travels to Mississippi State, Tennessee, Texas, Florida State for the annual rivalry, and Florida is the quote-unquote road team for the game in Jacksonville that season. So that is the schedule. It is, I mean, it is still is a difficult schedule. There's no doubt about it. But I think this is the new norm in the SEC moving forward is that you're going to be playing a very difficult schedule. And Florida already had baked into the cake that they were going to start increasing and beefing up their non-conference opponents. And I think that's going to change as time goes on here now with a new look in the schedule, especially if we go to a nine-game schedule versus an eight-game schedule. But I think compared to other teams, Neil, Florida did very well in this this schedule release. And if you look at a team like Georgia, who will, I'm sure we all take into delight to see that they finally are going to play a real sec schedule, you know, Florida did pretty good. And this is, it's pivotal in 2024 for Billy Napier that to move forward in his tenure, that he has a good season in 2024. That's the first year uh, DJ Lagway will be on campus. That's the first season. And hopefully we'll have a top five recruiting class uh, on 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 the on the team, so I think this is a big big deal. Florida avoided some of the pitfalls that could have happened. I think you know an additional Auburn trip would have been very difficult to navigate, but instead, like you mentioned, we go to Starkville, Mississippi. You know, Florida did all right. It, it's still a tough schedule. You know, going to Knoxville's tough. Going to Austin's tough. We still go to Tallahassee. We still play the Georgia Bulldogs in the cocktail party, and you know, unfortunately, the swamp hasn't been the home field advantage. And, and like it was in the 90s and even during Urban Meyer tenure. So you look at opponents like Kentucky who have come into the swamp twice and beaten the Gators in the last five years. Uh, LSU, who beat Florida last season. You know, it, it's not a pushover. None of those teams are pushovers, even though they're at home. But nonetheless, I think overall, this is a good schedule draw 
for the Gators compared to other teams. I agree. And I think that I think the key to note here is that it's not that it's an easy schedule. It's that it's as easy as I think you could have realistically expected it to be because it could have been a lot worse. It could have been so much worse. Again, you know, not going to to play either of the Alabama schools. You have to think that Auburn is at least going to be respectable. Um, and then getting LSU and Texas A&M at home. Yeah, I understand the swamp hasn't exactly been the hell house for opponents that it, it used to be. But wouldn't you rather play them at home than go on the road to play those teams? So, I mean, obviously Florida wouldn't go to LSU two years in a row. But point is like it sets up well, it sets up nicely for Florida, who, as we talked about on the show, Chris, year three for Billy Napier, it has to be that year. You know, we're not going to say Florida has to win the national title or he's fired, but he has to, he has to show something. He has to show that he's capable of getting there. We can't exit year three, still not knowing if he's capable of taking us to that height. And this is a schedule that I think is as conducive to him winning games in Gainesville as it's ever going to be, especially with, as you said, and as we've talked about before, the nine game schedule feeling like an inevitability, I guess it feels like it's going to happen um, in a matter of when, not if. So, you know, lights on showtime, let's do it. This is, this is an sec schedule. So of course it won't be a walk through the park, but that's how it's supposed to be. And let's get it on. I'm excited for it. Yeah, no, I am too. And and as a season ticket holder, you know, I feel pretty fortunate to to be able to have first dibs on these these big games, these blockbuster games coming forward. So if you're not a season ticket holder, this is a good time to become a season ticket holder uh, going into this season and into next season because these tickets are going to be a lot harder to come by, especially uh, with Miami, LSU, Kentucky, all those opponents. Guess who just became a season ticket holder? Neil, did you join the club? I did, which you know makes more Congrats. sense. Now. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah. I mean, it makes more sense now that Gainesville is is drivable. Uh, I mean, from from 2018 to 2022, I would fly down from New Jersey, which was brutal. Um, you know, the rental cars, the hotels, the, the flights. It was just, I mean, it was fun. I, I, I happen to like flying, but it you know it's just just a lot of travel and it it, it wears on you. So. Yeah, now that I, I live fairly close, I could, you know, it made sense to you know, save some of that money on on the flights and the rental car since I own my own car down here now and just use that money on the season tickets and and uh, and putting the money towards the University of Florida's athletic association and hopefully bolstering it towards the the direction we need it to go. So fun times, Chris. Fun times. Yeah, no doubt. Well, any final thoughts before we close on the twenty four schedule? I mean, I think just for me. And and the other thing of note is that I know a lot of fans are going to make a lot of hubbub about the difficulty of the schedule. 2024 is the first season officially in college football where we'll have a 12-team playoff. You're going to have those at-large bids. I think it is very likely you're going to see two, potentially even three-loss SEC teams with a strength of schedule like some of these teams will have can make the playoff going forward. You have to remember in the Dan Mullen tenure in his four years three of us four in the new format florida would have made the playoff uh and there were times even one of the years in the 2012 season with well Muschamp would have made it so i think you have to look at it from different ways like yes it's going to be more difficult to make it to atlanta even more so than it is now now that georgia's in our, it was is it currently in our division for one more season but in 2024 when it's top two teams it's going to be very difficult that still means though that florida let's say they go 10 and 2 and 
they don't make Atlanta, they can still make it as an at-large bid. So I think this is a overall, it's going to be a lot of good regular season games, a lot of great matchups. But we're going to get to see the rotation happen a lot more often. You know, teams will travel to Gainesville that haven't done so as often in the last decade and vice versa. Fans are going to be able to experience venues that they haven't experienced a lot as fans. So I'm pretty excited and, you know, it, we'll just have to, uh, to see how it all goes by 2024. Fun fact, this will be Florida's first trip to Austin, Texas since 1939. Wow. Right. The first year of World War II. That's crazy. Been a long time. And, you know, the other thing, in, and I think this this leads to the question is, like, Florida now really does have to hammer. I mean, we knew this going in, but recruiting for this season, the 2024 class, these guys are all going to be freshmen when this schedule comes out. A lot of them will probably be leaned on in that first year, potentially even a, a freshman quarterback in DJ Lagway. Florida has to finish and close with a top five elite class this season. So it's paramount that Florida does that. And in order for us to have success and even be able to flirt with the college football playoff. So on the subject of recruiting, we have uh, some breaking news to report. The Gators did get a commitment today, um, a international commitment. Billy Napier decided to go uh, worldwide this time to find an offensive lineman. Uh, and I'm probably going to butcher his last name, so I'm not even going to attempt it. But uh, his name is Noel. Noel, um, I'm, I'm just not going to do it, Neil. I'm not going to butcher his name. Just spell it name. out. Spell it out. You have it written in front of you. Just spell it out. P O R T N. J-A-G-I-N. There you go. So Noel P. Noel P. has committed to the Florida Gators. Uh, he, you know, this is a, a kind of an off-the-grid prospect. A lot of people did not have him on the radar, but he uh, made an international trip over to the United States in the last month. He camped at South Carolina, Auburn, Liberty, and Florida and earned scholarship offers at all four schools. So he garnered... He went to four camps, got four scholarship offers, including three SEC and Power 5 offers. He decided to go ahead and make his commitment and committed to the Florida Gators. Uh, sites already have him ranked. Two sites have him ranked as a three-star. I mean, I think he's trending toward a consensus three-star prospect. But, you know, he's 6'5", 315 pounds, could certainly play inside and outside. I think Billy Napier has shown uh, – you know, a liking for guys that he can either, you know, have some versatility on that offensive line. Uh, but, you know, he's impressed at these camps and he's shown a lot of athleticism too. there. He's put out some videos where he's been able just to like fling his body up, like he's on his back and then he flings his body up and like stands upright. Kind of reminded me of that video of like Tristan Wirfs when he uh, jumped out of the pool, you know, just that crazy freak athletic ability, just for, for, even for a big fella, like, uh, Noel himself. So I, I think this is a, a good get. Florida needed to start getting some help in the trenches. It's still not the quote-unquote elite talent or rating, uh, Neil, that you and you and I have talked about that Florida needs to get in the trenches. But I think this is still – this could be an interesting – it's an intriguing signing or commitment because, you know, he obviously is an international student He's off the radar, and a lot of people didn't, you know, really know about him until he started camping in the United States. And I think it's pretty telling that he went to three SEC schools, and all three SEC schools felt the need to get him a scholarship offer. Uh, 
so I think it's good that he chose the Gators and, and, you know, we'll see how things progress and if he decides to take any more visits or camps anywhere else. But if he goes to maybe some of like these other camps and actually some of these outlets can rank him, maybe they start realizing that he is a good talent and he gets a bump in the rankings. I don't know, but nonetheless, the Gators got their second commitment in as many days on the offensive line. So Neil, do you have any thoughts on this recent commitment? Yeah, so I'm actually seeing that he was uh, he he weighed in at 315 pounds this morning. I went back to the same site it was on 247, and now they list him at 334. So rival still has him at 315, but I know I'm not crazy. I saw this morning that both 247 and rivals had him listed at 65 or 64 and 315. Now 247 Sports I'm looking at right now has him at 65 and 334. So I don't know what that's about. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know how you gain 19 pounds in the span of 8 hours, but I think it's telling that he has an offer from Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is the guy, remember, if you saw the blind side. I I, I think he knows offensive linemen. I think he knows what to do with offensive linemen. I think he knows talent when he sees it. Obviously, I'm not going to go and say that this kid is going to be the next Michael Orr. I'm not going to say he's going to be the first-round draft pick. But I, I kind of trust him when it comes to offensive linemen. He offered him at Liberty. He offered him at Auburn. There's a big difference between the two. Obviously, Liberty is not an SEC school. Yes, he recruited some good talent there. I mean, there was a quarterback that got drafted in the NFL. So clearly, he knew how to get some talent there and then develop it. But for him to go to Auburn and go, yeah, I still want him. I still want that guy. That, to me, speaks volumes. There's not really a ton else that's known about him. Um, I mean, the fact that, as you said, he went to three SEC schools and three, I think, respectable schools. And I wouldn't say South Carolina is a top-tier school, but it's not a Vanderbilt. I'd say it's probably higher prestige-wise than the Mississippi State so or Missouri even. So three legitimate SEC schools, or, or I guess we could say two non-Florida legitimate SEC schools offered him in addition to Florida, and Florida wound up um, sealing the deal with him. So it's an interesting prospect. It's an interesting project. I think we're going to have to wait and see exactly how he learns the speed of the SEC by, by camping out more um, and, and going up against – other top recruits say it like Friday night lights or a junior day or something like that. But I think that the potential is there. And I don't even know what to make of the fact that that two, four, seven, it added 19 pounds to his profile. But to me, that says that he's a, a strong dude and that he could be something if developed, right? Yeah, most definitely. So we'll have to see, and I'd be intrigued to see if he decides to come and, and come to some of those camps that I mentioned to see if his rating bumps up a little bit and he gets noticed. So definitely, uh, We'll, we'll see how that all pans out, but congratulations to Noel and his commitment to the Florida Gators. We certainly welcome him to Gator Nation, and just by and large, and I, I've, I've brought this up in the past, and I'll bring it up again. I, I, I really stress to the fans, please welcome these guys into the class. Welcome them into Gator Nation. Congratulate them on the biggest one of the biggest decisions they'll ever make in their life. This is a 40-year decision, not a four-year decision. So let's show class on Twitter, even if it is not the guy that you want or the ranking that they they you desire for them to have please just don't be that person on twitter let's show the because a lot of guys notice it they notice it everybody notices this so chris haven't we haven't we learned at this point that that the quality of the billy napier take 
is not the issue. Haven't we learned that with, I don't know, Jakeem Jackson starting out ranked like a hundred spots below Cormani McLean. And now he's one of the guys we're all of a sudden most excited about. Oh no, we only have Jakeem Jackson. We wanted Cormani. He's just a consolation prize. Well, I mean, still, we still don't have actual game footage of them in SEC play, but isn't, isn't that take starting to age a little bit badly? Just, I understand he's not the five-star prospect and look, I, I'm kind of middle grounds on the whole stars matter thing. They obviously matter to a certain degree. There's no debate that they matter to a certain degree, but you can find diamonds in the rough with, with three or four stars, especially when there's not a lot known about them. When you have a guy who is a complete unknown like that, you don't know the good and you don't know the bad. So the, the potential here is through the roof. And, you know, again, just trust the quality of the guys that Billy Napier is going after. He would not have offered this kid if he did not think he could play at Florida. And the same, by the way, goes with the other offensive line that the other offensive lineman that we have commit to Florida this week and Mike Williams. So, you know, five-star offensive linemen don't grow on trees. They're probably, I would say the most rare position to get five stars aside from maybe kicker or punter, but let's just have a little bit of trust with Napier because if you look at the rest of his class, Four guys are either five stars or very, very close to it. And Adarius Hayes and Miles Graham, who are very high four stars, they're just missing that five-star cutoff by less than a, a tenth of a point on 247 Sports Composite Rankings. And then, of course, quarterback DJ Lagway, and then safety Xavier Filsame, um, who committed during the spring game. So let's just have a little bit of patience with Napier, at least in the in the quality of the take standpoint. Yeah. Definitely. So we'll we'll see how this progresses. And and speaking of quality players that have been coming in, Gators are going to have 16 official visitors this weekend in the swamp. Visiting once again, that'll bring the three-week running total to 47 visitors since the beginning of the month. That's pretty astounding. The the the, the army is working. They are working. Uh I don't know if many fans saw, but Miles Graham put out a tweet earlier today that said Stay tuned. It's about to get real. We're about to start turning it up. And I do think because of all these visits, we're going to start seeing guys commit. I mean, last year, Florida had 55 official visitors, 28, or I'm sorry, uh, 20, I think 22 of them ended up committing. That's a pretty good, that's a decent hit right now. Obviously, you know, if we're, if we're going by baseball, that's around, a, you're batting over 400. That, you know, and I think we need to increase that a little bit more in order to get that quality of class that we, we desire. But or the quantity with the quality, but I think this is, we're going to start seeing the effort that they've been pulling behind the scenes pay dividends. So we'll go ahead and get into this list here a little bit. Uh, one of the positions that I have been talking and harping on that I think we need to see a little bit more uptick in the recruiting of that is the cornerback position. Specifically, you bring in a position coach like Corey Raymond to come to Florida, you give him a raise. These are the kind of you want those big time commitments to come at that position because of that. And Florida does have some big visitors coming for that position this week. Uh, two in particular, Jamari Howard of Miami Central. He was committed to Michigan State. He decommitted last month. And many believed, and this was actually after an unofficial visit to the Gators, many believed that that the flip to Florida was inevitable. He has since taken some visits to Florida state. This is viewed as a Florida, Florida state battle for the top 100 prospect. Uh, but he is only set up an official visit thus far to the Gators. So this is a chance for the staff to impress and maybe get him in the fold. 
I'm not sure I would put him on commit watch necessarily. I think he probably will continue to take visits, but you never know. If guys want to try to shut it down before the season starts, so that gives you that month, month and a half window before that happens now. Another cornerback that Florida is looking at is Wardell Mack out of Marrero, Louisiana. Wardell Mack, many believe, is trending to LSU, but they're, you know it's kind of gone quiet on that front, and he will be visiting the Gators this weekend. He is another top 100 prospect. Either him or Howard be a great get. I think Florida probably at least needs to take two corners in this class. So we'll see if we can at least pull one of those elite prospects. Florida had a surprise visitor from Amari Sanders out of Gulliver Prep in Miami. He, a lot of people thought he was trending to Nebraska, but a recent offer by Corey Raymond. You know, and he has a similar frame uh, and some of the same traits that uh, Jakeem Jackson has. 6'2", 170 pounds. He's kind of that long, rangy corner, very athletic. Shows demonstrates a lot of speed and athleticism. Uh, only a three star, very similar ranking meal to where I think Jakeem Jackson was this time last year before his recruitment really did take off. So curious to see if he if he what what comes of this visit to Florida. He has offers from Nebraska, Florida, Florida State, Auburn. Uh, so we'll have to see, but I, I think that this is one to monitor moving forward. Uh, for the Gators. So that kind of covers corner. We are going to have two current commitments on coming on, on campus in Keenan Daniels, our lone running back commitment now, and Josiah Davis, a safety commitment out of Nashville, Georgia. Uh, so hopefully they continue to recruit hard for the Gators. Florida has had two alphas over the last two weeks on campus in Miles Grimm and DJ Lagway, and they've certainly been helping with those efforts to get elite talent to want to commit. One prospect I want to mention, I mentioned him earlier in the week, Nazir Johnson, who got a crystal ball by Lake Bike Alderman of 247 Sports, is visiting officially this week. He has a visit planned to Florida State next week. This is another Florida-Florida State battle, but it seems like things have been trending to the Gators in recent weeks. Let's see if this is a recruitment we can shut down. I would say because of the intel that some of the insiders out on the outlet and the outlets have been receiving. He would be somebody I think we put on uh, commit watch, Neil. And then another one on commit watch, I think, is Amir Jackson, the tight end out of Portal, Georgia, especially now that I think many fans saw one of Florida's prospects, Walter Matthews, committed to USC. He visited this past weekend and decided that he wanted to head out west. We had mentioned this was a USC-Florida battle and that he might have been leaning USC. That, in fact, turned out to be true. So that is one tight end off the board. You know, we still have other options on the board, Jonathan Eccles is another a highly ranked prospect near the top 100, like Amir Jackson. Uh, and you still have Caleb Odom, who could be that fringe tight end slash receiver uh, that can play that Kyle Pitts or that Justin Shorter role in the offense, that kind of big possession receiver. So there's there's options out there for the staff, but I think they're starting to close, and I think some of these guys at that position are going to make a decision soon. So you have a guy like Amir Jackson who's heavily turning to Florida. He is a he is ranked near the top 100 as well on the consensus and the composite. This is a guy I think you probably have, of all the visitors coming this weekend, is the one, if you want to see a commitment pop, he would be the one guy you want to have happen. Uh, we do have a couple other linebackers coming. Jamonte, uh, Jamonte Walker, top 100 linebacker. Many believe that that's an Ole Miss-Auburn battle, but he is taking an official visit, so we'll see if anything comes of that. He is a Na- Mississippi native, so that is a lot of people reason, a lot of 
that is a reason why a lot of people believe he is trending that direction. Aaron Childs, who will be making a decision at the end of the month between Michigan, Clemson, and Florida, is visiting as well. People have thought this is a Michigan lean, but you get that last official visit before he commits. That's a good sign. So we'll see what happens there. Florida definitely needs to take at least one more linebacker in the class. And many hope and think that it's Chris Jones, but Aaron Childs, Jamonte Jamonte Waller could be backups in that situation. And then Finishing up here on the offensive line, we've got Liam Andrews, a top 100 prospect out of Brookline, Massachusetts. He's looking at some Big Ten schools, Penn State, Wisconsin, but he's taking an official visit. He's And he projects more as an interior offensive lineman at the next level. Definitely needs to put on some size. You know, he's listed at around 255, but you get him in a college weight room like Florida, and I think he could beat, beef up pretty quickly. And then Fletcher Westfall, who out of Leesburg, Virginia, Florida going back into that DMV area. You know, it's a Clemson, Georgia, Florida battle here. Getting him on campus is huge. He would be, he's a four star prospect. It would be nice to get a prospect like him committed, especially at the offensive tackle position. He's almost six, listed at six, eight, and 300 pounds. So that would be a really solid get. And then the last offensive lineman that I'll mention, Ty uh, Heitland out of Oviedo, Florida. He is regarded as a Florida, Florida State. Uh, battle at this time he has visited florida multiple times and is coming back for an official visit this time he is ranked just inside the top 1000 as a consensus three-star pick once again not another ranking that i think fans might not get excited about but the staff and some other programs in the power five have identified him as somebody that is worth looking at and would add to the depth of the class at the offensive line position so Neil, what are you looking for in this official visit weekend? I, I mean, I'm really kind of just hoping to see maybe the staff press for Amir Jackson just because I think time is of the essence at the tight end position, given how deep of a of a board now that we have there. I think we need to – you can't really rely on a flip of Eccles. You have a guy that's leaning Florida's way, finish the job like we keep saying, uh, but what are some of the things you're looking for this weekend? Well, um, first of all, let's just point out the fact, I think it's hilarious that Amir Jackson is from a city called Portal, Georgia. I also think that this would be a commitment that Florida would would genuinely feel good about at tight end. Um, there is, I think, one other tight end on the board. I mean, I'm not going to say that, I'm not going to say that Jonathan Eccles is on the board. Uh, I think he's, he's a ball, but if Florida gets this tight end in Amir Jackson, I think they genuinely feel good about it, especially given all the other schools to offer him. Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, Auburn, Miami. Uh, I think a couple other, I think Virginia Tech off the top of my head. Uh, maybe Indiana, I think. I should have had this pulled up. But yeah, he, he I know he has those offers from Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Auburn, Miami. Oh, Colorado is the other one. And and FSU. That that's that's a that's a big deal. Florida gets that kind of talent on campus, consensus four-star on campus. That's a big deal. I don't know that if Florida misses on him, they're going to be able to, to really salvage the tight end class from the standpoint of, of getting those, th- those elite athletes on campus. I just talked about how Napier doesn't, doesn't reach. He doesn't stoop down for a take just to fill a spot. If Florida doesn't get Amir Jackson after they already lost the other big time tight end on their board earlier this morning, or I guess yesterday morning when everyone hears this, uh, it won't be good. And Florida, 
I don't think it's, it's ever really fair to ask someone to be the next Kyle Pitts, but I think it, it is fair to ask someone to be another Jordan Reed or another Trey Burton or hell another Romarius Hines. I mean, that, that was a, that was a perfectly fine player for Florida back in the day. So if Florida can, can get the type of athlete that Amir Jackson is to commit, to lock it down. We talked about this, I think on four pods in a row. Now you got to lock down and get these, get these recruitments over with. Then I think Florida feels genuinely good about themselves. The other thing I'll say is, I think Florida is in a position now at linebacker where sure it'd be great to add more quality takes to the class. I mean, Chris Jones already visited us. Uh, the the Georgia poll is going to be a little, little concerning, but it's not the end of the world. If Florida whiffs on, on the rest of its linebackers on the board, because they do have two extremely highly talented linebackers in the fold in a Darius Hayes and miles Graham. Both of those guys are high four stars that we talked about a few minutes ago. They're just on the cusp of getting that fifth star and it's all an algorithm really, but you know, they've all got the offers that everyone ooze and oz over. So th- those are quality takes at linebacker. You would like to have a third. You don't need it the way, say you need a, a high caliber quarterback in every class. You need offensive linemen. You need to have speed at wide receiver come in every class. You need to have some corners. You need to have trench monsters. Florida doesn't need a third linebacker. It'd be great if they got it, but they don't need it like fish need water. So that's the other thing I'd point out heading into this weekend. Um, and by all means, keep an eye out for what happens with Chris Jones. Cause I think if Florida is going to take, a third linebacker. That's the one that I'm the most excited about personally. And given the fact that he did seem to very much enjoy his trip to Gainesville two weeks ago, and he had mom and dad in tow, I think that's the one that at least as of right now, before he steps on campus in Athens looks to be the one that's most likely. Yeah, no, we'll have to see. And and I, I, the one thing I'll mention, and I know you talked about linebackers. I do think just given the talent level and depth at that position right now, currently on the roster, it would be good to take three solid linebackers in this class. I, I like the takes we've had. I mean, everybody's talking about Shamar James, that he's been off the charts. But you got to remember, Shamar James in 2024 will be a junior. He has a great year. He could go to the league. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have some guys, you know, graduate. Uh, Taraja Mitchell's only here for a season, and he projects as an inside linebacker. We took some transfers, you know, Deuce Spurlock out of Michigan, Manny Nunnery out of Houston. You know, solid guys, but I'm not sure that they have the talent level of what we're potentially bringing in or who could come in a Aaron Childs or a Chris Jones. So I think Florida needs to take as much elite talent as they can. And I think at a certain point, it becomes an an argument of best available and what position of need. Like You know how you start to draft. Do you draft by need or do you draft position best position available? I think the way – you just look at that schedule. Florida needs to just – infuse this roster with talent and it doesn't matter where and certainly roster management matters in in certain positions but i think if you can get an elite talent in any position you take it and you let them join the squad i mean the other thing the difference between doing that in the nfl and doing that in college is in the nfl you get one first round draft pick maybe two and once in a blue moon if you hit the jackpot you'll get three if you get a ton of trades coming in your way in college you can get 40 first round draft picks in the span of a year. If you're flipping the roster the way Napier is and you have to hit the transfer portal and you have to 
fill your roster because so many guys are leaving your school to the transfer portal to other schools. So Florida going to take, you know, 25 kids or so this class. I think the, the COVID exception is over now, right? So you can't take up to 32 again, but you figure Florida will wind up taking 20 guys of consensus four-star caliber at a minimum. Then of course you figure the transfer portal is going to have a couple of cycles. Now there's always one right after the year. There's always another one after spring ball. So you figure Florida's going to get, I mean, maybe 40 was a slight exaggeration, but you can expect to get 20 quote unquote first round draft picks. So you can parcel that out a bit more across the different positions. Whereas in the NFL, you only have a finite number of draft picks and you have to be more position conscious there than you can be in college. Yep. Most definitely. Well, we'll have to see how it goes and we look forward to the results of this coming visitors weekend. And with that, Neil, on football, we are now going to move over to baseball and preview the College World Series. Uh, This episode will be released on Thursday. So we're going to go ahead and give you a preview for tomorrow night's matchup, which will be 7 o'clock on ESPN versus the Virginia Cavaliers. This is a rematch of the 2015 College World Series where Virginia defeated the Gators and then the Gators took one back against the Hooves, but they were not able to get the third game and they were eliminated as a, uh, they were, they were a semifinalist that year in, in Omaha, which was, it's a solid run for that team. A lot of those players ended up becoming a part of that 2017 team that won the College World Series. And certainly the experience in that matchup paid dividends down the road, but we're hoping to get our pound of flesh this time. We've got the revenge against South Carolina in the Super Regional. Now it's time to get that revenge against Virginia eight years later, but we'll hopefully get it. I'm sure I'm sure Kevin O'Sullivan remembers uh, that sting from that game in that series. But, Neil, we're going to get into this. We're going to preview the matchups. We're going to preview the teams on Florida's side of the bracket. And then we're going to give our predictions of what we think is going to happen in Omaha over the course of the next week and a half. And, it, you know, we, we said it. I, I think that our side of the bracket certainly is a lot more favorable than the other side of the bracket where you have a lot more national seeds. And certainly, I mean, I think if you look at this right now, the top three teams going to Omaha, the favorites to win have got to be Wake Forest, Florida, and LSU. And two of those teams uh, are on the other side of Florida's bracket. So, Neil, I think let's first start off with our matchup. Or let's, let's preview all the teams. Let's preview all the teams on our side of the bracket first. Break them down for us, Neil. Talk about Virginia. Talk about TCU and Oral Roberts and what that potential matchup versus either of those teams is. And then we'll get into Virginia. Sure. So um, first starting off with some numbers. We like to infuse the pod with numbers whenever it is possible. So college baseball edition looks a little bit different because there's so many games played and it's very difficult to to really gauge um, or, or compare statistics from Virginia and the ACC and Oral Roberts and the Summit League. But um, here, here, here are the numbers and then we'll get to a little bit of analysis. So Virginia, first and foremost, is by far the team that scares me the most, and it's not even close. Virginia's 335 batting average leads all of college baseball, and they did that in the ACC. Now, worth pointing out, Yes, I, I know Clemson was eliminated in their own regional, but Clemson and Wake Forest were the two best teams in the ACC this year, and Virginia didn't play either of them. So their stats, their numbers, their record, yes, it was in the ACC. Yes, the ACC is pretty good top to bottom, but they avoided the best team, and they avoided the second best team in accumulating those numbers. Oral Roberts, 323 batting average is a team that's fourth best in college baseball. 
Then you have a big drop off. TCU only hits 299 as a team. Florida actually the worst from a pure number standpoint at 293 as a team. Of course, Florida also did that in the SEC, also with two series against ACC opponents. And granted, FSU is terrible, but Miami is a national seed that Florida wound up doing that against. So the strength of schedule definitely favors Florida. Um, the, the on-base percentage numbers, those are all in the same order. Virginia's 429 on-base percentage is sixth best in college baseball. Oral Roberts a little bit behind them at 416 as a team. TCU hitting or getting on base at a clip of 401. Florida's, um, again, the lowest in the pod at 394. But as we just said, if Florida's in the SEC, those other teams are not. Home runs per game is where Florida's going to have the advantage, but this will come in a caveat, as we'll talk about in a second. Florida hitting 1.98 home runs per game, essentially hitting two homers a game. Massive drop off there. Oral Roberts is the next best team in that category with 1.51, essentially hitting a homer and a half per game or three homers every two games. TCU at 1.38 homers a game. And Virginia last in that category is by having the best overall batting average and on base percentage. Virginia last in terms of home runs per game at 1.31. Now, the caveat to that is this ballpark, uh, formerly known as TD Ameritrade, the last time Florida was there, now I think it's called Charles Schwab Field, whatever, the same field, same park. It is not conducive to hitting home runs. It is a deep ballpark. So, yeah, Florida might hit a couple, but they're going to have to really barrel up the baseball and catch it on the nose and then hope that the wind doesn't blow the ball back, which it has a history of doing in this ballpark. You'll have to really smoke one to get it out of here. Even if you're going to go to the power alleys, even if you're going to go down the lines, you still got to really get your the fat part of your bat on it and crush it to get it out of here. So Florida's home run numbers being the best in this pod are definitely a good thing. That's going to be more conducive to hitting balls in the gaps and maybe get some extra base hits that way and start rallies that way. But in terms of the long ball, yes, Florida's the most impressive team here, but just note that this ballpark isn't the friendliest for, for power. Pitching-wise, Virginia has a very good team ERA of 3.77, and we're going to see the best guy on that on that pitching staff. So that's going to be, you know, cause for concern. Probably going to see uh, Connolly early is his name. He's got a 3.07 ERA, which as a starter is tremendous, and 98 strikeouts on the year. I can't imagine that they would get gutsy and and save him for a second game and hope to win without him. But if they, you know, if Brian O'Connor, their their coach, does decide to get frisky, the next best guy is Brian Edgington, another very good pitcher. Maybe not quite at, at the level of Connolly Early, but still both very good pitchers. Florida will not have an easy time at the plate if they've done if anything they've done this year has been any indication. They, as we as I talked about a second ago, can mash. They can really really put runs on the board in a hurry. They have four guys hitting above 355 on the year, which is is very scary because that's, again, an ACC team doing that. Kyle Teal leading the way for them at 418 on the year, which is incredible. Griff O'Farrell at 398. 
Ethan Anderson hitting 377 and Ethan O'Donnell hitting 356. If you look around college baseball, you will not see a lot of teams with four guys hitting above 355 on the year. And then there's a fifth guy on their roster or in their lineup named Jake Gilloff, who has 23 homers on the year, which is more than every Gator not named Jack Caglione. So, I mean, Chris, I can take a break for a second and let you digest that. But before I get talk about the other teams in the pod, Virginia clearly the most dangerous team in this pod other than the Gators. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think uh, if you look at it, I mean, certainly Cinderella stories happen. Oral Roberts could be that team. We'll see. But if Florida is able to defeat Virginia in that first game, I think the odds of them getting out to the championship exponentially go up. Because, you know, they will be facing either TCU or Oral Roberts in that 1-0 matchup. They will be the odds-on big-time favorite to win that game. Then you're up 2-0, and then you only need one more, and you're in the final to, to, to play for the championship. So I think just if you look at it, it it's it's Friday night is the showdown. It is the big matchup. I think Florida ha- right now, putting a percentage on it, has – around a 50-50 shot of getting out of that 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 region or that that into the bracket but if they're able to overcome all the hitting that you're talking about and they actually have a great night pitching Sproad has a great start on the mound they bat, the hitting is there Florida should be able to get out of or ha- has a much higher likelihood of getting out of the side of the bracket and getting to the final so i mean we'll have to see how that goes but it's very dependent on how good Brandon Sprode is. He's due for, I think, a big performance. And if he is, I believe he will be the starter on Friday night. He has he, he needs to deliver. He needs to deliver for the team because then in game two, you can throw Waldrop. You're up 2-0. And then you can play with house money a little bit. You throw Caglione. You throw Fisher. I don't know. But then I give O'Sullivan a lot of options. If you can get two quality starts similar to how we got in the uh, in the in the in the in the regional, so we'll have to see. But all right, Neil. So let's look, let's preview TCU and Oral Roberts. Yeah. So uh, Oral Roberts, honestly, is probably a little bit more scary to me than TCU, even though TCU is the bigger name and they're in the better conference. Uh, Oral Roberts has a guy named Jonah Cox who does scare me with a four twenty average. Um, they also have three other guys and Matt Hogan, Jake McMurray and Holden breeze hitting above 315 on the season. That's all against the summit granted, but still respectable. Uh, their pitching numbers are what kind of have me a little suspicious of them. They have a ridiculous record. Um, you know, 50 plus wins is a rarity heading into Omaha. They have it, the summit league, you know, not the greatest, but the pitching numbers are, are what the kids call sus. They have one guy that scares me on their pitching staff, and he is going to go in game one. Ryan Fulmar, their coach, has already said they're going to start Jacob Hall, their ace, in game one. The next best guy is Harley Gollert, and he's he's got good stuff. He's a respectable pitcher. He is not as good as a lot of the pitchers Florida has seen and battered this year through the SEC, plus Miami, plus in their regional and super regional. So it could happen. You know, we saw a series against Georgia where the dogs have two guys go out in back-to-back, na- back-to-back days, one guy with an ERA of six plus and one with an ERA of under three, and the Gators get completely shut down and silenced by the guy with the ERA above six 
And it's the guy with the incredible ERA and the incredible stats that they go out and beat up. So anything can happen, of course, but uh, Oral Roberts definitely, I think, is a, is a team that Florida can hit the ball hard against and put up a lot of runs in a hurry. And I'll admit that I didn't watch a lot of them in the regular season. I didn't watch any of them, actually, in the regular season. I watched them in the tournament and in the regional and the super regional. They gave up a lot of runs against good teams, and they're all earned. I mean, the defense, I would say, is is good. It's not really a huge weakness in them, but they gave up 43 runs in six NCAA tournament games. So, and again, not having faced a team with the offense anywhere close to Florida. So, yeah, they're hot. I I understand going to Oregon is not the toughest place to play, but yeah, it's a road series that they went and, and won to get to Omaha. So they have that that hot factor on their side. But talent wise, Florida has to be considered the favorite. And if all else fails and Florida's pitching doesn't show up, let's say Hurston Waldrop turns in a bad performance you still have to like Florida's chances to outslug them, even with the deeper dimensions in Omaha. TCU is the mystery team to me. They were 13 and 11 in the big 12. And they have one guy on their, on their lineup, uh, Braden Taylor, who has 23 homers. Aside from that, they don't really hit the ball for power. They do a lot of small ball, a lot of back to backs to back to back to back singles, a walk, maybe one double here that they, they just don't string together a ton of, of power hits or extra base hits. That is, they didn't until they went to Baumwalker Stadium in Arkansas and just absolutely bludgeoned Arkansas, the number three overall seed, twice, 20 to five and 12 to four. That is a composite of 32 to nine in two games against the number three team in the country and the team that Florida shared the SEC championship with. So they're hot. I mean, granted, I don't think that highly of Indiana State. Honestly, probably they should not have hosted a regional as a top 16 seed. The irony being they should have hosted a super regional. They didn't because of complications with the Special Olympics. Obviously, you can't really hate on that. But they should have hosted a super regional because they were the, the higher seed than TCU. But in any case, this is a young team. They have a couple of guys um, that that do scare me on their lineup in Cole Fontenelle and Anthony Silva. Silva, a freshman, really impressive to me as, as a rookie in college baseball. Both of those guys hitting above 340. But after that, their lineup does drop off a bit. And their pitching numbers aren't that tremendous either. They, like Oral Roberts, are going to have to use their ace in game one. Cole Klecker is going to go in all likelihood for them against Oral Roberts in the opener. And beyond him, it gets a little bit shaky. So very different types of teams, uh, TCU and Oral Roberts, but regardless of which of them Florida faces, for different reasons, you have to think Florida is going to be the favorite to, to beat either of them. And before we make our predictions, I will say this to echo Chris's thoughts. If Florida loses the first game, they're in big trouble, but it's not – game over for them the way it would be for oral roberts and tcu like oral roberts and tcu if they're going to get to the championship series they have to win their first game if florida loses their first game they're in trouble but they can survive it as we saw in the regional so on the other hand going one and oh beating virginia probably elevates their chances to get out of the pool to about 80 85 percent it goes from about a coin flip maybe 55% to 
to about 85%, because then you have to like their chances to beat Oral Roberts or TCU, and then they'll get two shots to win one game if they win that against the team that either they've already beaten in Virginia and is now out of pitchers because they've had to come through the loser's bracket or a team that they're clearly more talented than. So, Chris, I'll I'll take a breath and let you uh, let you talk. But that's that. Those are my thoughts on this on this pod. No, and we we appreciate you breaking it down for the fans because I think nobody really knows and covers baseball better in the Gator podcasting industry than Neil Shulman. I think I think he watches baseball probably more than any of the average fan out there. So we greatly appreciate that. And and just looking at you know kind of like you said, Neil. Oral Roberts has one ace. They can they showed they can really swing the bat in the regional and the super regional. They overcame they blew a that de- they blew a big deficit and then they gave up they overcame a big deficit against Oregon. Uh but I would agree. I think Oral Roberts to me is, is a great Cinderella story to get to Omaha. I just don't think they're gonna face teams much tougher, even TCU, like you mentioned, who beat a very good Arkansas team. I think that they're going to struggle moving forward. So I think, you know, if you look at it, TCU is probably on par with kind of what we face with the Texas Tech talent-wise. It's right around the same. They're probably a little bit better, being that they did beat a good team in Arkansas. I like. I, I think if, if, like I said, it just comes down to that first game. Get out of that first game, beat Virginia, and then you face a TCU or an Oral Roberts team, and then you're going to likely face a TCU or a Virginia that has had to use their bullpen and a game three to advance to the final. So we'll have to see how it all goes down, but Neil, I think it's time to make some predictions here. So let's do it this way. Let's predict game one and then let's predict uh, the rest of the pool, how we think it's going to go. And then the percent chance that the Gators have of advancing to the final. We won't do a fi- we won't do a prediction of the uh, if we think the Gators will win just yet because I I think we all want to see how that other side of the bracket goes. But maybe we can give a prediction on who we think is going to get out of that other pool uh, and face the Gators if we do indeed have them getting to the final. So you go first, Neil. Okay. Caveat to what I'm about to say is there is a 40% chance on any given day that Florida's bats just go dead and the other team wins a 2-1 type of game and Florida finds themselves in the loser's bracket. That could happen on any given day just because the other teams are hot and the deeper dimensions in this ballpark do take away the ability for a quick homer to maybe put three runs on the board with a walk and then maybe a, a single through the hole and the next guy just catches one on the barrel and blasts it out of the park here. It it very well, that same ball might very well die on the warning track. So that, that caveats in place. I do think Florida gets past Virginia in the first game. I think it's going to be a game that has Gator fans very nervous. I don't see Virginia being shut out the way we did to South Carolina or Texas tech with the, the next stage on the line, so to speak, a, you know, a a win and advance type of situation. I think it's going to be like that, but I think Florida will prevail. I think there will be a fair amount of runs on the board. I don't think it'll be an exorbitant amount. I don't, I don't see a, a 20 piece by either team, but I think this could be a, a, a seven to five type of game. I think Florida does get the job done. I think Sprout will finally bounce back and have a good start to his start. He has been very, very strong for the Gators throughout the regular season after the first couple of innings, which have been his bugaboo so far. If he can get through that Virginia lineup the first time through without any major damage, 
Florida's chances to win that first game go up significantly. And well, then from there, as we talked about, their chances to get out of the out of the pool increase significantly. I think TCU is going to get out of, of its side. I think they're going to win that first game against Oral Roberts. I think that they're I think, I think that they just have a little bit more um, in terms of talent on their roster, and I think that that's finally going to to come to fruition. But again, they're they're more mysterious because they've had so much more data that says that they're mediocre than Oral Roberts as, as a mid-Big 12 team. Um, but I think Braden Taylor is going to come through for them and, and provide them with just, um, just, just enough to get them out of that game. I also think that they have more overall power than Oral Roberts does. So that is going to give them the key. I think that someone's going to run one out of the park and just clobber it. Even after all I said about this ballpark being very, very friendly to pitchers, not hitters. I think someone on TC was going to get a hold of one and knock it out for a rare homer to give them the win in that game. So I think it's going to be TCU and Florida in the one Oh game in a rematch of the 2017 world series where Florida beat TCU twice to advance to the final. I think that Virginia is going to be the team that Florida faces in the pool final. I think that, that this Florida Virginia game is going to be played more than once. I think if Florida does lose that first game, they will go through the losers bracket and get Virginia again. Or I think if Virginia loses the first game to Florida, I think they will, it'll be harder for them than it would be for Florida, but think that they would be able to get through next couple of games to force regional final against Florida. I think that whoever wins the first game is going to lose the second one. I, I just, I don't see Florida beating Virginia twice in a row. I, I don't see Virginia beating Florida twice in a row. So kind of, kind of predicting a, a best two out of three series here with these other two teams mixed in, in Oral Roberts and TCU. I think the pool ultimately does come down to Florida and Virginia, Virginia, especially if Florida has to go through the loser's bracket and exhaust their, their pitching depth. Virginia, I think has the edge there because they just have so many guys that can hit the ball. And you're going to assume in a, in a regional final where Florida has already beaten them once has to beat them a second time. They will have already used the Cade Fisher. Uh, maybe they'll even use Brandon Sproat a second time, but they will, their, their, their depth will be exhausted. So I think Virginia is favored in that regional final if they're the 2-0 team. If Florida's the 2-0 team, I think it's Florida who gets out. Because I predicted Florida to win that first game, as we talked about, Chris, that is the key. Starting 1-0 gives you the chance to go 2-0, and 2-0 is, is the catbird seat and forces you to use a lot less pitching and just keeps you well-rested as a team. The team that wins this game wins the pool. That's my projection. And I said Florida would win this game, so I'm going to stick with Florida winning the pool and getting to the CWS final. On the other side, I think it's LSU. Wake is a tremendous team. They have great pitching. They have great hitting. But LSU is one of those teams that has – for. I mean, it's number five seed in the, in, in the tournament. They're, they've got a great resume. I think that even despite the fact that they've got a really good resume – the talent is still more impressive than the resumes. I think that they've underperformed, which is crazy to say for a number five seed in the country, but they, just, they just have so much talent. I mean, Cruz, Skeens, Tommy White, they just have so many guys that you're going to see in the MLB one day. And I think that's going to come to fruition against Wake Forest. So I think that pool comes down to LSU and Wake. 
I think LSU gets to the final, which means that we would have a rematch of the 2017 College World Series final. Chris, you said we're not going to project that yet. Um, I'm kind of tempted to, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I shouldn't say that because I don't know who I'd pick. It'd, let's hold it'd be a let's, lot let's, of fun. Let's hold off. I think, I think we've, pre- you've predicted uh, as far as we can go. We'll, we'll certainly, I think, we'll, we'll let some results come in and then I, we'll have another podcast where we'll obviously be recapping Visitors Weekend and hopefully some more commitments, but we'll get into the results of the College World Series and hopefully be talking about a final proposition. So, I'll give my predictions. They are pretty much in line with what Neil has said. I believe whoever wins the 1-0 game will, I'm sorry, the first game between Florida and Virginia will win this side of the bracket. I am predicting the Gators to win. I think Sprott is due for a big start. I think he gets it done. I think the Gators win a lower scoring affair, though, maybe like a 4-1 or a 5-2. That's sort of where I'm at. I think it's hard for teams, even power teams, to hit in this ballpark. There is just a lot of historical data that backs that up. It's beneficial that Florida has a couple of guys like a Wyatt Langford, like a Caglione, even like a Josh Rivera, who certainly have demonstrated some great power. BT Rypel is another one. Florida has some guys in this lineup that can get the ball out of the park here uh, in Omaha, but... It's tough to do it, and I think that first game is going to be a lot of warming up. So guys are just going to get the barrels on the ball, get some base hits, move guys along. And Florida's shown that they've had some really good timely hitting in in the tournament thus far. So I think that's what's going to carry them through in game one against Virginia. I'm going to go with an upset. I think Oral Roberts beats TCU. I think they're kind of riding the wave. They're riding high. That Cinderella team sometimes gets like a little bit more magic in Omaha. I think they get it in game one against TCU. And TCU, they've been hot. But I think, you know, odds are eventually you do lose a game. So I think they'll drop one in the first game. Oral Roberts faces Florida in the second. I think Florida will beat Oral Roberts and get to 2-0 and and get to that, that, that final on that side of the bracket. And then you've got Virginia facing a TCU. I think Virginia defeats TCU in the first game there, and then TCU will be 0-2 out of the tournament. Virginia then will face Oral Roberts, who then I think they will defeat Oral Roberts, and then Florida will face Virginia again. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it. I'm going to be bold. I think the Gators get out of the pool unscathed. I think we go 3-0. I think it's a repeat of 2011, where we went 3-0 to get to the final before we played South Carolina. I think history repeats itself. I think this team is strong. They've got a lot of confidence coming out of overcoming a setback in the regional, sweeping South Carolina. I know I just said that odds are eventually you do lose a game, but I think that this is if if we're predicting Florida to win that first game, I think it just sets them up to go three and zero in the pool. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put Florida's chances then of getting out of this pool very high in the final. And I agree with Neil. I think they face the LSU Tigers in a rematch. I, I think that LSU has just, they have been incredible in the last several games and they com- had all the power and the pitching to accompany with it in that, in that super regional against Kentucky. So I think we are going to see a rematch in the college world series final. That just feels like the way it's supposed to be, doesn't it? And, and that how history works out. I mean, like Florida and Wake, yeah, they do have that one, that one time they played in the supers also in 2017, actually in the same year. So Whichever one of those teams wins it would be a, a rematch of something in 2017. And if it's not either of them, it could be Tennessee, the team that Florida really does not care for. 
So it it feels like if the Florida Gators are going to win a national title, they're going to have to go through the very best that college baseball has to offer. And that's really all you want because college baseball as a sport is notorious for the best teams not winning the national title. There, I mean, Miami in 1999 was the last number one seed to ever win the title. It just, it hasn't happened once this century. So, I mean, you think of championship games, you think of world series, you think of final fours of sports, they should feature the best teams of the sport, but they often don't. I think that's why we like college football so much because usually they do. Obviously TCU last year in football was not an example of that, but you're supposed to have the best teams compete for the title and be the final team standing. And I think if Florida is going to win the title this year because of the way that other pool sets up with three really talented teams in there, Tennessee, don't fool yourself, is still very, very talented. They're not quite what they were last year, but they're still really, really good. For football fans, uh, for for football primary fans who are you know following baseball now because the Gators are good, the example I'd give would be Alabama after 2009 when they won the title in 2010 they they fell back down and went 10 and 3. Yeah, they weren't what they were the year before, but that team still had talent. They still had Mark Ingram, they still had Julio Jones, they still had Dante Hightower. There was still talent on that team. And then imagine that there was an expanded playoff and that 2010 Alabama team got to the elite eight, you'd be very, very nervous about your, your, your opportunity to face them. So don't fool yourself into thinking that just because Tennessee is, was not a national seed this year, just because Florida beat them two out of three in Knoxville. Don't be fooled by any of that. This would be a tough out for Florida if they had to face them with the title on the line. Yeah. And that's a great analogy. If, if there was an expanded playoff, you wouldn't want to face that hot team at the end of the season. Tennessee is that team right now. So do not envy the fact. I'm very happy they're not on our side of the bracket for that very reason. Uh, but And then also, on the subject of Wake Forest, Wake Forest, this is the first time since 1955 that they've made it to Omaha when they actually did win the their lone championship in their baseball program. So it's been a long time. And I think there sort of is a rite of passage when you get to Omaha. Florida has been on a five-year hiatus, but they've been there before. Soli has been there before. A lot of the guys in the staff have been there before. So I think this that experience will help these guys out. They're going to know the pitfalls of what to look out for in Omaha, knowing the fact that it's not a hitter-friendly ballpark, but you have to change your strategy on getting guys on base and moving runners around the base paths and knowing that hopefully maybe one night you'll get the power to show up, but it's not going to happen every night. And to be patient at the plate, a team with Omaha experience would know that. And I think a team like Wake Forest who prides itself on just breaking the ball and, and putting it out of the ballpark may not. So I think that's ultimately why I'm taking LSU. And I think LSU has that experience to, to uh, come in comparison. So worth noting though, Wake Forest does have the best team ERA in the country. Their pitching is no joke either. Yeah, no, it's a solid team. There's no doubt about it. I just There's no they, real weakness on them. No, no, there they are. There's a reason they're the number one team in the country flat out. Uh, but I think ultimately and you know, I'm, I'm not surprised that we both believe LSU is the team to get out of of that side. I think they're very, very good. Wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee got to the to the uh, the final 
like you know in the final in that in that side of the pool either. It, it really wouldn't. But the national semis, you mean to, to the, yes. the pool the pool final? Yeah, the pool final, the national semis, the final four, if you will, of college baseball would not surprise me. And you know, it'd be pretty cool to have multiple SEC teams in there to continue to preach the fact that the SEC is the dominant conference, not just in football but in all sports. Not to me. I'm not rooting for either of them, but it probably will be the teams that are there. Um, like well, that. well, well. Sorry, uh, Tennessee, LSU, and Wake Forest. Two of them will be in the in the pool final. I, I don't really think that Stanford is going to be that team. I, I think that, that that they'll be the team that goes zero and two. Stanford's very lucky to even be there in the first place. If it wasn't right. for some some fielding errors on Texas part, it might have gone the other direction. That's the most astonishing ending to a game I've ever seen, or or at least a, a consequential baseball game I've ever seen. I wasn't alive for Bill Buckner, so I can't say that I saw that. But I mean, like Aaron Boone's home run in the ALCS in two thousand three. I was I was nine. That that was amazing, but it wasn't it wasn't like so jaw dropping to me. Yeah, this was a walk off home run. Astonishing ending to a consequential baseball game I've ever seen. Yeah, it's crazy, but that's the that's the beauty of the sport, and we cannot wait to watch it. It all begins Friday night at seven o'clock, so be sure to tune in. Before we go tonight, Neil, want to go ahead and give a quick shout out to some of our partners. Uh, first off, the Gator Good Foundation. We're proudly partnered with them. This nonprofit organization works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. For those of you that are new listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses it to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for next season, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Certainly, Neil, there's going to be some really good home games in the future for for somebody for the Gator Good Foundation to attend. So excited that we can partner with them and help them out uh, with that endeavor. Gator Good Foundation is 4-0 in their games. 2018, South Carolina, that comeback game. 2019, we rocked Vanderbilt's world. 2020, we didn't do one because of COVID. 2021, we smacked Tennessee upside the head. And last year, we beat Missouri. So just throwing it out there, Florida has never lost during a Gator Good Foundation campaign. All right, so we've got to do Tennessee this year, and then next year maybe a Texas A&M, maybe an LSU Mm -hmm. to keep that mojo going? I'm not going to spoil too much, but we've already picked our game for this year, and it's not Tennessee. Okay, all right. Well, we'll wait for that announcement uh, in the coming uh, months, but... And then finally, our last partner we want to give a shout-out tonight is Alma Mater. Alma Mater has been putting out some incredible merch and you could have it for yourself by going to inallkindsweather.com and clicking the link at the top of the homepage. Uh, you saw that they were able to get our baseball team, uh, their kicks, their Nike kicks with the Gator scales on the Nike logo, which was really cool. Uh, they've also are sneak peeking a some hats with the Florida Victorious on it. Uh, so they've got some good stuff continuing to come out, and all of it is in effort to support the NIL efforts for our athletes. So when you're buying from Alma Mater, you're also supporting our athletes. Well, Neil, I think that about does it. It was another great show recapping uh, the schedule release. We look forward to that in 2024, the upcoming visitors weekend. We're now Florida. will have up to 47 visitors for the month of June. And then our baseball predictions. Both of us have the Gators getting to the final and playing LSU. We'll have to see how it all plays out. But we thank you for listening and tuning in. Please be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter, at in all kinds of or in, at all kinds of weather on Twitter. We also have our recruiting handle, 
and our podcast handle on Twitter. So be sure to look those out. Just search in all kinds of weather. They should all pop up. We have our YouTube page in all kinds of weather where you can watch the old games. But please subscribe to our new channel, the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast on YouTube, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages. And then finally, leave us a five-star review and a review. I think, Neil, we're going to start reading reviews on the show here shortly. So please, fans, do that. We'll read the best ones out loud. And then that does it for the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I was your host, Chris Yanes, my co-host, Neil Shulman. So long, and we'll see you next time.